When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 201. We're recording on Thursday, March 16th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky here with Jeff O'Neill, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Uh, happy spring. Yeah, it feels well, like spring here today. It's it's forty but sunny, which ah, in Portland is it's basically July. I am uh, uh, in Philadelphia visiting our coworker and friend Jen, and it is definitely winter outside. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you like that? You liked full winter? I do. I like a full mm. winter, but it had been full spring in Richmond, and then it got yeah. cold. So I'm Hard seasonally I'm seasonally confused, but it's okay. Yeah, it's all Hard, right. And spring forward, which doesn't treat you well. It does not. You know, you lose an hour of reading time. You lose. Mm. sleeping time i just don't know where i am in time and space right now but it's all you, fine. you do enough we work together long enough that I, I do know this about you is the 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 daylight savings alterations that you don't your body doesn't like those they do. you, you have a hard time with them. <laughs> it doesn't it's just the one hour you know but like i think yeah. the extra sunlight you seem can... to do fine with jet lag i don't i mean it's i mean you're, you're you don't jet lag worse than uh, other people as far as i can yeah, tell yeah not too badly yeah. i guess there's something about an hour and just it just it, it just it's like you're standing around on one leg all day you, you're just kind of off i know <laughs> that's very true <laughs> i just get a little like what's happening or i'm, I'm taking a lot of like <laughs> you know little 20 minute naps right now mm. to try to recover from it um but yeah it'll be it'll be fine i wonder travel is fun so it's a little easier to oh maybe you're 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 emotionally um battened you've got (laughs) you've got your your uh psychological steamer trunks all put together and you're ready for adventure (laughs) and waking up at different times it's true true. uh let's do our first sponsor it's it's a it's a potpourri week here on the show Mm -hmm. so we got lots of smallish uh you know nothing that's going to take you know i don't see any i don't see any rant landmines here but you never know i mean you really don't (laughs) but i don't i mean that's when they get you that's how they get you there is a link related to ebook sales Oh, that's right. Well, that's a. I guess that's you know. I've detonated that. You know, I, I've I've stepped on that one. I know what I know what that one's about. But let's talk about our first sponsor, Caraval by Stephanie Gerber. This is one of the the most anticipated books of the spring, and it's really has been selling well. And they're you know they're really proud of it. And it's it. We hear a lot of people talking about. It. I see it. In, I'm seeing it in Pals. I'm seeing it in bookstores like on. It's the, all you know, over the favorites. Place. It's all over the place. A beautiful cover. Um, and here's a synopsis. So that it's a Caraval Stephanie Garber's sweeping tale of two sisters who escape their ruthless fathers when they enter the dangerous intrigue of a legendary game. And it's I think it's you know I haven't read the book, but I read a lot about it. I think that's what they give us for talking points. And I think that's why. It's like you want to tease a little bit here. Like it's very atmospheric. Um, it's set in sort of one of these circus-like, carnival-like atmospheres, like with real, real filigree and ornate, but also has this heart of a really like dangerous situation in it. Um, it was one of 2017's most anticipated YA novels. We started hearing about it way back like last spring mm-hmm. um, when it was getting ready to come out. So Saba Tahir, who wrote Ember and the Asher, says, I lost myself in Caraval and never wanted to come out. Um, Marie Rutusky 
Rutkowski, I always mess that up, who wrote The Winner's Curse, says it shimmers with magic. And so it's like, it's a romance too. There's a little bit of that. Also, I don't want to say too much about that. And, it's, and they say the, the tagline is pretty great, is it's the closest you'll ever find to magic in this world. The read-alike we've been hearing um, is Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. Um, and some, you know, is it like that? Is it not? I'm hearing, but I think it's close enough that people debate whether it's close, if that makes mm-hmm. kind of sense. Like, no one's like, what are you talking about? Um, but if you look, if you like the atmosphere and kind of the world of the Night Circus, check out Caraval. Uh, Caraval? Caraval. Um, by Stephanie Gerber. It's wherever books are sold in the YA section. Um, so there you go. Thanks so much for them to sponsoring the show. Um, be a nice summer read uh, to do there because right. I skip spring. I just go right to summer. You just go right to that's fine. Spring is an appetizer to summer here. Well, you won't even get summer until what, like almost August in Portland? Yeah, 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 it is. I feel like we had two winters and we're going right to, to summer here. Um, you know, I, I got one bit of follow up. I didn't have the link in front of me, so I didn't drop into the agenda. Um, but we did get confirmation of our suspicions uh, of our discussion about the Obama's um, mm-hmm. advance that PRH will indeed retain um, world publishing rights and sell it and publish it and sell it themselves in all domains in which it has uh, an imprint or a, a relationship or a pre-existing partnership. So it's not going to be selling, you know, distribution rights to Germany and Brazil and. Um, England and some of the big international subsidiary, like if you sign a big advance for a book like this that includes world rights, a lot of times publishers will go and basically hedge their bets by reselling those rights to individual um, territories. Um, But in this case, the size of the advance suggested to us that they would probably think of doing it all themselves. And if you're PRH, you can because you have imprints all over the world in almost every jurisdiction. Not only do you, you might be the biggest one in the biggest markets. Um, also, they're going to publish their own Spanish-language edition. There's a U.S. Spanish-language edition and, I guess, a Spanish-language edition for other Spanish-speaking territories, which I think is interesting. I don't know enough about Spanish. Maybe that's typical, um, but that was, I thought that was an interesting side note. Like, what would be different in the two Spanish? Is it just a question of, um, you know, different usages or local languages, or what else would be going on there? But anyway, that's true for both books. Um, And, you know, it it suggests that they're betting. We already knew they were betting big, but that they're betting big using their own chips. You know, they're not going to, like, sell out and uh, try to get some of their return back immediately. They're going all in on the potential of the book to sell. Um, So uh, no surprise there. I don't know that tells us anything different, but it, it does go some way to, I don't know, mitigates the wrong word, but... It puts that that number's a little bit different, knowing that this is what they're going to do with it. Yeah, with the, it the explains Clinton book, the it's number different. a little bit more. Yeah, and it had. To, I mean, it had to have been. It had to have been the case that they they thought they could extract um, the value all over the world, and that's the kind of thing I think. PRH, when Random House bought, or I don't even remember, they merged, or who bought who, they or merged, like different holding yeah. companies, or who owns. I think Bertelsmann was Pearson was Penguin, and Bertelsmann was Random House, and so. Penguin Random House is actually owned by two jointly by two international conglomerates. I think Bertelsmann owns the majority share now, but it, that's all. Who cares? Insider baseball. <laughs> that only I am only vaguely interested. In. But this is the kind of thing that they talk about when you do a huge merger like that. That it gives you scale and infrastructure to do things other people can't, other publishers can't. Uh, and this is and this is certainly the kind of thing that you, I mean. If you don't do it for this, when are you going to use right. it? You know. If you don't take the convertible out when it's 72, when are you going to take it out? 
Yeah, this is the best possible place to take the, not even a gamble, but to go, to put all your chips on the table, as you were saying. Um, Really interesting to see those books come out. I have a note of, I guess, kind of halfway follow-up and also just a thing that we didn't put on the agenda either. But I thought of it again when you were talking about Carval being a good read-alike for the Night Circus. Mm. That's one of those books that we have a hard time coming up with read-alikes for. And the other one that I think about all the time is The Martian. And how much people love The Martian. And it's tough to find a book that feels Mm. that way. But I think I just read one. I talked about it on all the books Uh, last week. But it's – what? What is it? It's um, The Wanderers by Meg Howry. I saw a blurb for that and I was like – my my bells were going up. It's great. It is great. Um, It's near future. Is it out? Yeah, yeah. It came out last week. Oh, it's out. Okay. Um, Or earlier this week. I talked Mm. about it with Liberty already. So I know that it's out. Yeah. it's near future, but you don't know exactly what year, but we are preparing to go to Mars with a private company that's basically a stand-in for Elon Musk and SpaceX. Right. And the mission to Mars is four years in the future, like four years out to come, but they've identified the three astronauts that are going to go, and this private company called Prime um, wants to conduct extensive uh, simulations on Earth to like mimic every possible thing they can as realistically as possible to see what mm. going on that mission is going to be like for the astronauts. So they move them to a like fake spaceship that's in the middle of nowhere in Utah, um, and mm. they have technology that pro- like that projects Mars simulations into their helmets. So when they leave the craft, it looks to them like they're walking around on Mars, gotcha. and their boots are weighted so that it feels like they're walking on Mars. All these things. Um, but it's really about it's less it is less funny than the Martian, and there's a little less or really a lot less like science mm. to it, but it felt the closest like it's the you're in the heads of the three astronauts and also a bunch of their family members um who are being interviewed by this company about the experience and supporting them and what it's like when your loved one goes like somewhere else in the galaxy mm. um but they're like figuring out their stuff as humans, but in space. And the writing, mm. the writing is gorgeous, and it really like propelled along. I read it really quickly. Um, Jen and I were talking about it last night. It's like, you know, this is probably the closest thing that we've read that mm. you could put in the hands of people who liked The Martian. It's a little more literary than The Martian, but it's, it's, I thought it was really good. We need like a Hall of Fame of tough read-alikes. Yeah. The Martian's on there. Um, what was the other one? Uh, 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 Where'd You Go, Bernadette, is mm-hmm. one we always have trouble with. Um, you know, there's a lot of like, yeah, pretty good, but it's, 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 it's difficult to come up with. That's a lot of like, yeah. um, the Martian's a good one. Ready player one, you know, night circus. I mean, some of, some of them are just cause they're popular, but there isn't like it's some of them that it's genuinely difficult to find another reader like for, I think, um, mm-hmm. that's interesting The Martian. I bet the librarians uh, listening to this show could tell us what they recommend. I'm sure they have <laughs> ones that they do all the, I mean, that they get requests for that's not, it's not that you get requests for it, that you don't have a ready, like easy answer one i find is hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy oh um, yeah that's that's a real tricky that's and, so and i'm singular. sure there's something out there hmm. yeah yeah um and i guess it's a sign like i mean there's others but i don't know that people ask us for read likes to you know dan brown but like there's no read like for dan i mean no 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 dan- and you know what also people are saying and and you and I were getting texts from someone I may or may not live with this morning <laughs> that the single most controversial thing we've ever said was our uh, no more books, one more books, or two books every year until they're 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 you know for mm-hmm. the rest of the author's life. Um, people people were surprised. They were shocked. <laughs> it's like they don't know us, Rebecca. I know. 
Yeah. I'm glad well, we were pretty united on that front. I think, um, I don't know, I'm sure there was some Twitter and email feedback and then um, uh, Darling M's feedback. I think a lot of people had the same feedback Michelle did, which is they kind of agreed with our Morrison if we're going to do one more, you'd pick Morrison because and, and, the stipulation was that it's better than the others. Mm-hmm. So that one, you, you really got to throw your hat over the wall. I mean, that's, that's a chuck to get it over that particular wall. So like that we want to see. But then it was the that we were okay with sort of the, the Marilyn Robinson corpus as is and then would take two per, or two, uh, one every two years from D. Brizzle. That's mm-hmm. the one that people really... We're shocked by shocked. I know. Well, I had the opposite reaction to Robinson and Morrison that you mm-hmm. did, where I was good with Toni Morrison yes, and I want right, the right. one more Marilyn Robinson. But like, why would you not want a Dan Brown novel every two years? Everyone else is I, wrong. I, I is think it. I think it's people. I think what what it's hard for me to get into people's head is like it's almost like comparing different things. Like they guess their books, but it's but it's it's like saying. Would you rather ho- have another epic poem from Homer or never eat pizza again? <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's like oh, I was thinking about like, OK, Morrison is like the equivalent of you're going away somewhere. But to like uh, you're on a meditation retreat, like it's going to mm. be hard. You're going to have a lot of feelings. And Dan Brown is like going to Disney World. And yeah, there you and go. You can go to Disney World or I, I can go to Disney World and like eat myself to death on funnel cake and ride mm-hmm. rides a lot more frequently than I can do all of the emotional heavy lifting of That's interesting. a Toni Morrison. Yeah. So anyway, I, I just thought that bared mentioning is the amount of feedback we got was um, uh, a lot, a lot of kind words about the show and that they liked the Q and a and all that, but they also said that there was also a lot of um, legasp, I would say <laughs> uh, about it's just, that. So. It's too bad when the people are wrong. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, they can have their own. They can have their own wrong opinions. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. It's just I, 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 I thought it was a, uh, it was um, it is funny, interesting that even after all this time, it's not clear where on the holy trinity we come down. It was even really, you and I disagree on it. It was a really good question. Very good question. Thank you for that. Um, all right, let's get into the week. Where where do you want to go here? We got There's lots so of stuff. We have to let our pleasure be a, our guide. Let's just start with a hero of the week. Let's yeah, start go for strong. it. Tell me, tell me about this kid. Uh, there. There is a little boy named Sidney Keys III. He is 11 years old. He lives in St. Louis, and he is starting the Books and Bros Reading Club. It celebrates black books and promotes literacy. Uh, he got the idea after he visited Missouri's University City bookstore called I See Me, E-Y-E, like your eyes, see me. Um, the bookstore is known for its large collection of African-American children's books. And uh, after his first visit, his mother recorded a video of him reading in the store and it got 62,000 views mm. on Facebook. Um, so after the video had that strong reception, he decided that he wanted to form a book club. This has been running actually since September. We just haven't heard about it yet. And um, this is a piece in Vibe magazine online and um, that since September, Books and Bros has met monthly to discuss one book with a black protagonist that the group votes on. They talk for an hour. Um, in the past, they have read and dissected hidden figures. So these kids are reading above their grade level. 
Um, mm-hmm. Alan Jackson's The Supa Dupa Kid and A Song for Harlem, Scraps of Time by Patricia McKissick. Um, and then after the hour-long conversation, the boys go to the Microsoft store down the street to play video games. That's um, so amazing. Isn't it great? They also invite authors and black male mentors to attend and to speak at their meetings, either in person or by Skype. Um, the club is for boys primarily ages 8 to 10. There's a monthly fee of $20. They they get to do the book meetings, but also receive worksheets that go along with the theme. There's snacks. Um, and then you get to pick from a selection of more than 250 donated books to take home. Uh, mm. This is just awesome. Good job, Sydney. We talk a lot about um, how few great children's and middle grade books there are that feature characters of color. This goes uh, dovetails with all of the talk about boys not reading and the concern about getting boys to read. So he's uh, achieving multiple things here, helping young black boys find books that they can see themselves in. Really awesome. I, You know, it's so cool. I mean, I wonder, we, we get a story like this every now and again about a kid doing something amazing around books. And I wonder, like, was this stuff happening in the late 80s and just the internet wasn't there mm. to distribute it widely? Or has the internet, you know, either A, has the, you know, social media and the internet allowed these things to happen? Or, and or, I suppose, they're not mutually exclusive. Do we hear about them because we have the internet and, you know, variety, you know, we have niche yeah. content that gets filtered through us this way. I, I, I'm not sure, but at any rate, a uh, heck of a story. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes if you find out, want to find out more. Yeah. If um, you're in, uh, that. if you're in St. Louis, check out, I see me. And if you got a kid in that age group, um, you can join the book club. I think it's yeah. really great. Um, I'm not, this is not a hero of the week, an interesting story, uh, related to punctuation. Mm. Um, this week, and we don't do a lot of these kinds of language stories. We do a little bit. We we keep them focused on books and reading. Though, when it comes to the Oxford comma, you, exceptions are made, if only for the temperature of feeling that arises around the Oxford <laughs> comma. Um, which I am a proponent of Same. the Oxford comma, um, though I would not call myself an acolyte of the Oxford comma. Um, which there are there are many. Um, I guess the thing I don't understand is not so much the 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 re- I understand the reasons for the reasons against using it to me are are, are more uh, befuddling. Yeah, same. It provides clarity. Clarity. And why would you not provide clarity? Yeah. And I guess for the the I I to try to take on the mantle of the opposition. You know, this is always a good intellectual exercise. <laughs> are you just going to play devil's advocate? Well, are they the devil? I mean, maybe a, a lesser demon, a devil strong. Um, the idea is that it's unnecessary punctuation. If you like clean prose, and you're, if you're this kind of person that suggests punctuation should only been, be used when absolutely necessary, and 99.9% of the time, not having an Oxford comma or serial comma um, to separate the last two items in the list works out fine, except that there are more than nine hundred nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine ti- things that happen in the world. So every once in a while, you get a case like this this current one, which was a case um, in Maine um, that a couple uh, five delivery drivers basically were suing their employer for overtime pay, um, and they were suggesting that. Maine's overtime rules did not cover them. 
right? Mm-hmm. So one thing that's not eligible for over, for overtime, and this is the state law, the canning, processing, preserving, freezing, drying, marketing, storing, packing for shipment or distribution of agricultural produce, meat and fish products, and perishable foods. So there is a comma between all of those gerunds uh, up until you get – there's one between storing and packing, but there's not one between um, shipment or distribution of. So that last item – since there's not a, a final comma there, a serial Oxford comma, suggests that packing for shipment or distribution of are two related, they fall into the same umbrella, mm-hmm. rather yes. than two That's separate one activities. Item, not two items, one right? item's not two items. Whereas the main delivery driver is saying, well, we're actually just doing distribution. We're not doing packing for distribution, we're just doing the distribution. Whereas if there was a comma that happened after shipment, so if it said packing for shipment, comma, or distribution of, it is suggesting that this, without this comma, that packing mere includes the shipment of distribution of, so that shipment and distribution of is describing the packing, and that distribution of is not a separate endeavor. So if you're a delivery driver, say, hey, this doesn't cover distribution. That only covers packing for distribution, which I think, if you're, you know, this is what the law does, right? The law is essentially close reading law um, and trying to apply it to the real world, I think that's a plain text reading of that law, right? Without a seal comma, patching, package, packing for shipment or distribution uh, is one item that does not include merely the distribution. And so the appeals judge, David J. Barron, wrote, for want of a comma, we have this case, which I find just delightful. <laughs> There's something about this I really like. A, I like the delivery guys get overtime. I yep. think the, the people that pack the fish... I don't know a lot about hard manual labor, but packing fish is, does not sound like something that I want to do for more than 40 hours a week. So anyway, sorry to those of you who the law does cover, but I like that someone um, got out of this. And interestingly, too, that Maine's legislative style guide advises, using a, advises against the Oxford comma, which I cannot understand at all. I do it not seems, understand why. It seems like they must not have consulted the lawyers when they were writing the legislative style right. guide, because you would think that the lawyers would be saying, always put commas where you might need commas so that we can afo- avoid getting sued for things that we don't yeah. want to be <laughs> sued for. I Make was, it absolutely I, I, in, clear. In my quick morning Googling after seeing, I think Jen put this in our our, our, she our, did, uh, yeah. our, our shared Slack, so, so thanks to her for this nerdery. Um, I was quickly trying to see where their cases decided by the presence rather than absence of an Oxford comma. Oh. The, the only thing that would make sense to me if someone used it incorrectly by separating two things that meant to go together. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I had three kinds of sandwiches, um, ham, turkey, and peanut butter and jelly. And I guess if you put if you use an Oxford comma um, after peanut butter, that, suge- that suggests there's actually four kinds of sandwiches, mm-hmm. right? There's a peanut butter jelly and a, a peanut butter sandwich and a jelly sandwich. So the only case in which an Oxford comma could get you into trouble is if you misapply it. Now, that might make sense. Like, if you don't know how to use an Oxford comma or serial comma, don't just willy-nilly commify your prose um, because that will, you know, result in bad things like s- making someone a peanut butter sandwich. When, what, what, when is such a thing acceptable? <laughs> I can't think of a single case. <laughs> so anyway. well, I have I have made sandwiches at your house and discovered that the spoons just live in the jelly jars. <laughs> well, they just live there. That's just where they go. But who needs they peanut go. butter? They go. They go. <laughs> well, I mean, mostly our peanut butter has a bunch of chocolate chips in it. <laughs> Hi, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> 
peanut butter and chocolate, peanut butter and chocolate chip. No, uh, a favorite um, uh, hamstering move is to uh, get a little spoonful of peanut butter mm-hmm. with uh, some uh, some some chips I on am, the top. I am not unfamiliar with this move, though. I can't bring myself to do the full hamstering, which in the Shinsky definition is snacks that you grab from bed when you're hungry ah. in the middle of the night. Like I'm just not ready to go to the place where I'm keeping peanut butter on my. Bed that, that's table. tough. That's tough. It does seem like just eating peanut butter out of the jar is not sort of a um, a boudoir approved move. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so I don't know. There's anything to say about, about this. I just like this story. What can I say? I it is delightful. I was. I'm wondering now if there were court cases affected by other forms of punctuation. Yeah. But the Oxford comma does seem to be a more obvious, or the lack thereof, uh, is a more obvious potential cause. I, I once had a friend, um, well, I, I, I mean, I, we haven't talked in a long time, but a friend that I once knew who was a, a punctuation purist in this sense that they, they would always err on the side of less punctuation. And their reasoning, which I found erroneous but interesting, was when you speak, there is no punctuation, mm. right? Um, I countered with, well, when you speak, you actually, you have pauses right. and you elongate naturally and things. But and he says, how do you say a peanut butter? Mark. How do you say, how do you say a cereal comma? Well, I say you pause. Right. Right. Peanut butter and jelly. There's no pause there. Turkey and peanut butter and turkey, ham and peanut butter and jelly. That That's how it works. So I always thought that was interesting, but hmm. it, it's, it's interesting to, I think, to think about how you represent punctuation Orally, because really what punctuation originally was trying to do is replicate patterns of speech, um, not to get too nerdy, but like, but wait, not to get too nerdy, but just nerdy enough is what I was going to say, is that originally Romans wrote where there was no spaces between letters or words. It was just like a big matrixy thing um, because they were transcribing um, and trying to preserve largely Oral speech, speech, oral language, which doesn't have punctuation, right? So if you're, you're just writing down the words in a row, you don't really think about, you know, where would a period be because you don't need one. Because in spoken English, we kind of just know when a sentence is over or it kind of doesn't matter. Um, but, I, but I like this parallel thinking of what makes sense in terms of punctuation by what you say and what you don't say. But I do think the Oxford comma makes more sense in places it, it doesn't. There's, there are edge cases that matter for the Oxford comma, but that's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. That's all I need. I only mm-hmm. need a few yeah, good no, edge I, cases. I'm also an Oxford comma fan. Yeah. In my dotage, I have to say, though, uh, in general, I care less about punctu- exacting punctuation mm-hmm. and, and grammar and style than I once did. Clarity of statement is really what you're going for. Yeah. You know, start a sentence with a coordinating conjunction. You know, if you need to end a sentence with a preposition, let it roll. Yep. Let it roll. Yes. That's okay. Roll on. Roll on. Uh, Uh, Where do you want to go next? Let's do a movie news twofer. We, lots uh, of movie stuff happening this there, week. Okay, there yeah. has been. Oh, yeah, so this isn't on the agenda, but there's a post on the site that we can link to mm-hmm. that the first peaks at the Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks movie yep. um, came out this week. So if you want to see a little you know, first clip trailer situation, we'll drop the link in for that. The two pieces of news, this first one I am so excited about, this is kind of one for me, one for you, I think, mm-hmm. um, is that Carrie Washington is going to um, produce an adaptation of The Mothers by Britt Bennett, which came out last year, one of the best books of 2016, a New York Times bestseller. Lots I have it on my claim. stack, of, by is, my library stack right here. It is I haven't excellent. Read it yet. 
Um, it's set in a black community in a small um, Southern California town that, and it's about a, um, a young woman who is grieving her mother's suicide, starts a relationship with the local pastor's son and becomes pregnant. Um, this is all in the copy for the book. So I'm not spoiling right. anything. Um, or and then spoiling they, it in so, you're spoiling it in so far as it's, it's publicly and yes, um, these are publicly professionally spoiled spoilers. Yeah. Um, like the publisher made these spoilers on the jacket. So mm. don't at yeah. me. Um, The choice that she and the pastor's son make about her pregnancy affects her own life and her relationships and the way that she thinks about family for like decades down the line. And we get to see a bunch of that. And the writing is just gorgeous. And it's this full cast of characters. So really exciting. Um, Carrie Washington uh, produced and starred in her her company is called Simpson Street, um, and its first production was the HBO movie Confirmation, in which mm. she played Anita Hill, and she mm. earned Emmy, Golden Globe, and SAG Award mm. nominations. So that's a good way to come out the gate. Um, Britt Bennett is going to help, uh, is going to write the, not help, yeah. she is going to write, uh, she's going to write the, do the screenwriting for it. So that's, uh, that's a great thing to have happen to your debut novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and a yeah, very that's cool. Great. You know, I cool. wonder what the, um, uh, in the old, in an old reading lies with Andy Weir that I did, I asked him, I don't actually know if this made it onto the show or if it was before or after, but I never really knew how authors were compensated for their stuff being adapted. Mm. And I don't remember exactly the, per, the, the, the percent, but the general idea was that Andy got a percentage of the production budget, oh, not yeah, grosses yeah. or receipts. You remember this? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, we I may remember have talked about it after it. the fact, which I thought was interesting. I wonder if it's similar for a TV show. I'm more thinking about Britt Bennett's like, I want her to make money off this so that she can have a large... I, I, well, I just yeah, don't I mean, know how... She's going to be the screenwriter for the project. She's you know. writing the script. Presumably, she's getting paid for that. No, no, yeah. I understand that. But I mean, but. I also like myself just because I want more mm-hmm. books. Like, I care more about the next Brit Bennett novel than I do about this show. For sure. I would rather her get, like, a big chunk of money and then she gets to write the next book. Like, mm-hmm. she can do whatever. Mm-hmm. She, maybe she wants to do this. I don't know. But I... I, I, in theory, what I would I prefer is the author gets a chunk of money that helps them, you know, make their life yeah. tenable. Because um, this was a book that got a lot of praise. Um, you know, we talked a lot about the site. It, it, I'm sure it sold well enough to get another book. Did it sell well enough to, for her to quit her day job? Probably not. Very mm-hmm. few do. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe this is replaces her day job or whatever. Maybe she wants to write for TV. I don't know. Um, but I always because you see this from time to time. Someone gets their book option for a show or a TV show or a movie, and you see they're going to write the script. And I always wonder, ah, do they have to do that? Or do they want to do that? And oh, I, I, I just hope it's a want. I just yeah. hope it's a want to sort of thing. Um, not that it won't be great and interesting and she won't do a great job, but uh, I'd like her to be doing what she wants to do. And if it's not, if it's she'd rather work on a TV show, great. Good for you. Do what you want, of course. Um, <laughs> but is, is it... Maybe there's not enough money. I, I just don't know how TV works. Like, do you get a percentage of the gross or the budget? And and Andy said the reason they did that was that movie studios are really good with monkeying with um, the other things that it could be tied to, like profit, mm. like total gross, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And so one way around it is you just get a percentage of the production budget. So there's, you know, if, if the if it's a small movie that, that takes off, you don't, you know, tough. I mean, your book will sell, 
but at least you have a, a fixed um, nut that you get reimbursed yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting here that we know that it's going to be produced, but we don't know for what. Like for what? if this is yeah. going to be on HBO or if it's going to be a you know feature film and a see in that you go see in the theaters and that would make a difference. But like kind of the flip side is I definitely want the next Brit Bennett novel. Mm-hmm. I want like the next five Brit Bennett novels. But there's more consistent money to be had, I would think, unless you're getting ginormous advances for your novels yeah. to be found in becoming a screen or TV writer who has a, mm-hmm. a you know a good name and a solid reputation. So you're not just like living on your royalties from your literary fiction. Right. No, no, I I totally agree. I just uh, it would be great if you know, the it was a fifty million dollar movie, for example, mm-hmm. and she got two percent of that. You know, yeah. so she gets she takes a million bucks, and you know that's <laughs> you know that's two MacArthur's <laughs> right uh, right there. I'm just curious, and I'm also just curious how TV adaptations are tied to the source material and optioning the the contract. Maybe she gets a little bit more if she agrees to stay on creatively in some way. I'm guessing. Um, that you know, sometimes the word produce has various meanings. It could be that they have basically a creative team and the deal in place. Mm-hmm. And if someone, a Netflix, Amazon, ABC, whoever comes along, they're ready to go. Oh right? yeah. This would be, you could see that really working well on. Cause it would make Netflix sense as a limited series, right? It would make sense as like a one season yeah. run of eight, but you could also build out the characters sure. in the town enough to like continue yeah. it beyond the story of the book. Um, oh, it says here that uh, Brit Bennett is also going to serve in, as an executive producer. Yeah. Um, so she'll have whatever financial ties to it. Mm-hmm. An executive producer gets, I don't know enough about TV to know or, t- or movies. We're not even sure what this is going to be yet um, to know. But so that is our first piece of, Mm-hmm. movie news this one is more for this is me i'll, t- I'll take you. this uh, you, okay. you, you, don't, you don't have to do the explain you don't have to do the play-by-play for this one um not that there's much play-by-play to do so basically the i don't we need also better terminology for this right because mm-hmm. it's no there we're rebooting the girl and this uh the girl with the dragon tattoos universe so to speak um they're going to do an ad, a, a film adaptation of The Girl in the Spiderwebs, which is actually not the Steve Larson. It's the David Lagerkrantz. Is that the guy's name? I'm not looking at it. Do you remember? Is that I the guy's name? don't remember, I but think let's go with that. Right. I think that that's correct. Um, so And so they're skipping the girl who kicked the hornet's nest and the girl who played with fire. Is that the right order of the first three? I haven't been back. It's, it's those Let's, two. I can't. I might be transposing the order. So we're skipping for the American adaptations. Mm-hmm. There were um, uh, uh, European adaptations that were actually apparently pretty good, um, but we're no longer continuing with the Daniel Craig, um, Rooney Mara, uh, David Fincher uh, trilogy, trinity of uh, of talent. Where they're rebooting, and so they're going to recast Elizabeth. They're going to recast um, Bloomquist. Um, and it's going to be directed by Fed Alvarez, who directed Don't Breathe. I'm not familiar with this Mm-mm. guy's work. I guess it was a horror movie, which makes sense. I mean, a little sense. touch of horror for, for the Salander world um, makes sense. I An interesting move. Um, you and I are both fans of these books, right? You didn't read Girl of the Spider's Web, though, right? Uh, I read Dragon Tattoo and... Girl Who Played With Fire. And I honestly, at this point, can't remember if I read The Hornet's Nest. Yeah, I they, definitely they, those two didn't, run together. Yeah, I didn't uh, get to the spider's web, no. Oh, you didn't. Anyway, it doesn't, doesn't really matter, except to say, from we were talking about this in the book, right, um, Contributor Slack, a little bit, that I, it makes sense to me, if you're going to reboot it to do it this way, 
um, two and books two and three, whichever the titles are uh, of the the original trilogy, really blur together. And there's a lot of politics, and there's in courtroom stuff, and it's really complicated. And I'm not sure it it lends itself especially well to film adaptation, especially coming off a, a lukewarm reception to the first um, American ad- adaptation or English language adaptation, I should say. Um, Whereas the girl with the spider's web, it's pretty self-contained. You don't need to know too much, uh, if anything, about the the first three. The characters are, in a sort of a Bond sense, you know, the characters themselves are are finely drawn and boldly drawn enough that you can move them and put them in different situations and still have a pretty good rip roar and yarn. Um, the the ru- early rumors is that we're looking at a big time A list triple A superstar actress for this. Your Scarlett Johansson's, your mm-hmm. Natalie Portman's, you know, it's a good, it's a great part um, for uh, for any actor, but for especially for a female actress to be the lead in a in a action mystery thriller franchise. Um, you know, it's the there's not too many there's not too many um, Janet Bournes out there is all I'm trying to say. So this is a, a really good piece, and I could see why someone would want to do it. I think it makes a lot of sense. It should make for a, a good movie. The book. Um, has a cliffhanger, not really a cliffhanger at the end. It's self-contained, but there's a bit of a there's a tendril one could follow, um, and I'm sure that's where Lager. The next one should be coming out this fall, I think. Lagercrantz's next Salander novel. What are we calling this? The millennium. The, the original is called Millennium, but that was like the name of Bloomquist, like crappy or yeah. not crappy, but like literary magazine yeah, slash. Like it's weird. I don't know what they're gonna call Salander. It. I'm calling him Salander. The Salander, yeah. a new Salander movie. I think that's the way. Sure, that's, that's fair. People are there to see Salander. They're not. They're not there to read about the leftist, um, you know, the, the the Economist of Sweden or Norway no. or wherever the heck we are. We're not there for Sweden. that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so there's movie that stuff this week. Um, stuff we've talked about before, but while we're on the adaptation tip, April's a huge month for adaptations because we're getting American Gods on Stars, mm-hmm. we're getting Henrietta Lacks on HBO, and we're getting The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. Big stuff. I mean, that is that is. Do you get any of the any or all of those? I don't. We get Hulu and HBO. No, we yeah. don't get Hulu. We get HBO. Yeah, I, have I don't HBO. even know where one gets a stars. Where does Hulu, one get a stars? Yeah, stars. I don't think is in my cable package. Yeah. Um, and I Hulu is like the one that I haven't broken yet mm-hmm. to subscribe to. But <laughs> but Jen is going to be visiting me the weekend oh. that um, Handmaid's Tale comes Do they all drop out at once? on Hulu. I think so. Mm. Um, I hope so, so that mm. we can sit on my couch for a million hours mm-hmm. and be terrified. Um, but I'm going to be doing that. I'll probably. Okay. <laughs> well, well I also don't know enough now, like, if one were so inclined and you just wanted to buy the season on, you know, buy the show on oh, iTunes yeah, or something, yeah. does it drop I'm simultaneously sure. or do you have to go around? I, I'm not sure how the cable that. companies or cable channels have what they're doing with this stuff. Like, are they trying to get people to subscribe? I'm sure that's part of it. But if someone doesn't want to subscribe, will they charge you 25 bucks for whatever? You know? Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. But those mm. are those are all... Big. I'm. I think I am obviously the most looking forward to The Handmaid's Tale, and especially uh-huh. to watching Elizabeth Moss on TV again. Um, yeah. But I think Henrietta Lacks is going to be great. I'm looking forward to that one too. Of the three of those, The Handmaid's Tale trailer stuff looks the most compelling. Yeah, I would say. I'm fans um, of all three. I've read all three. I like all three. They're all they're all quite different. Yeah, of and I'm I'm in the middle now of watching the second season of The Magicians on Sci-Fi, oh, right. which is like it is surprisingly great. Mm. 
I loved, I really liked the books, but the TV show has been faithful to it um, and has extended some of the stories in interesting ways. And it's darker. They grew the characters up. They're like graduate school age instead of just mm. going into college age. So it can be a little darker and more mature. And it's been really fun to watch. Without it being super like squicky, you know. Right. Yeah. 17 exactly. year olds. Yeah. Doing exactly. stuff. Right. They're like, twenty, you know, in their mid 20s. And yeah. it's a little, it's uh, a little easier to stomach. Uh, do you want to hear about our next sponsor? Yeah, let's do our next sponsor. Let's All right, we've that. got What It Takes by Shannon Stacy. Uh, romance for you this week. Revisit all of your Kowalski favorites while falling in love with a brand new romance in this reunion novel. Um, Shannon Stacy is a New York Times bestselling author. This book is about Lainey Caswell. Lainey is looking for a change. She's spending the summer living in a camper. Um, it's her chance to rediscover what makes her happy. But she never expected to meet Ben Rivers and... Find happily ever after in his arms. Sounds like a perfect spring and summer romance to read. Um, it's uh, these. It sounds like the Kowalski books um, are sort of all linked by place and character. Mm. But like most romances, you don't need to have read like everything else to understand. It'll stand on its own. Uh, so that's again what it takes by Shannon Stacy, and it's from Karina Press. So we'll have a link to it in the show notes, and you can check it out wherever books are sold. Wherever you get your romance. You yeah, you know, reading reading some kind of romance is usually part of the read harder challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you haven't tried a romance, but you're looking to give one a shot, that might be a good place to start. Um, where, where you well, want to go? I mean, speaking of romance, I mean, romance and e- the the big ebook story winner has been romance and self publishing. Yes, um, I think it's fair to say. Uh, there's a new Nielsen survey in the UK came out this week. Found that ebook sales declined by a further four percent in 2016. The second consecutive year, digital has shrunk. Um, sales of printed books rose seven percent, um, and mobile devices and tablets overtook dedicated e-readers. Um, UK consumer book spending was up six percent. Nonfiction up four and a half percent. Children's print up two percent. Ebook sales down 4%. So hard to know. Um, nobody really knows, I think, or if they do, they're keeping it very close to, to the, they're keeping those cards down on the table, how much the increase of ebook or the increase of print is related. Are those, is it a zero sum game? Like are those ebook sales being turned into print? Is strength in print cannibalizing ebook sales? Mm-hmm. We don't really know. Or are they non-correlated at all? Um, but there you go. I mean, that's the story we've been hearing. This is kind of exactly what we've been hearing over the last year. Right? Yeah, you know, and they do attribute some of the shift uh, largely to the explosion of coloring books mm-hmm. and also high fiction, high profile fiction releases like The Girl on the Train and Go Set a Watchman. But then there's just so much speculation. Like the headline on this Guardian piece is ebook sales continue to fall as younger generations drive appetite for print. And <laughs> so the like the sort of stated preference thing here is like young people just like the print books better they just like them better that's what that's why ebook sales are falling the young people they need a break from their digital technology they just love the way a book smells which like maybe but we also don't have (laughs) 
we don't have any indication of that. And the thing that we do have indication of is the thing that makes you go nuts on a regular basis. Yes. <laughs> that ebook um, pricing has been rising and the discrepancy between ebook and print prices has been growing smaller and smaller. So there is much less incentive to buy an ebook when you could just pay the same amount or even in some cases pay less um, <clears throat> to get Not the that print. anyone's tweeting me about these. I get, <laughs> I get a couple a day now. The, and and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not proud. I'm retweeting them. I'm retweeting people giving me screen caps of like the the ebook being cheaper than the the hardcover. <laughs> yeah, I see somebody, you. I hear you. I feel your pain. Sent us a Mary Oliver screen cap yeah. this week about Oh, that one was particularly egregious. Yeah. The Kindle was 17.99. <laughs> like I mean, you love your Mary Oliver, but buy that business in print for less. Yeah, anyway, 17.99 for Kindle it. and like 14.92 in hardcover. 17.99 like, for Kindle. I just oh. Cannot. So there's like a few things going on here. One is publishing's desire and a lot of publishing related media, it appears, to craft the narrative that what's going on is young people just like print while ignoring what we're really doing with ebook pricing. And also while ignoring that a lot of the boost in print sales had to do with coloring books, which you know don't work the same if they're digital. Right. Well, (laughs) and yeah, even the way, so just as an example in fuzzy logic here, so this. This says, um, Nielsen's survey of 2016 attributed the increase in print sales to children's fiction and to younger generations preferring physical books to e-readers. A 23- so they go, then they go back to a 2013 survey. And you know what was happening in 2013? Digital was growing like crazy. Mm-hmm. And that found that 62% of 16 to 24-year-olds preferred print books to e-books. Okay, well, first of all, that could be true and digital was still growing. That doesn't that doesn't account for why digital is falling now. Like plateauing, I understand, but why would it be falling? Um, the, the most popular reason given for that preference was I like to hold the product. Okay, great. But that actually makes no sense if you look at 20, <laughs> what was going on in 2013. <laughs> Ebooks are going like crazy, and yet 62% of people are liking the product. So why would that reason hold now and it didn't then? What has changed? And I think my reason is the only thing I can see that has changed is that ebook pricing has gotten out of whack, mm-hmm. right? The variable here is pricing. The variable here is not how people feel about it. The things that have changed is the market share and pricing, not sentiment. So th- this this is crazy. I think this is crazy. So the uh, Paula Hawkins goes to the Watchman Harper Lee, the Ellen Cohen works. They really did well last year. Publishers Association report said that their 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 explanation is readers take pleasure in a physical book that does not translate well onto digital. That might be true. But how does that account for the mm-hmm. growth of digital to this point? Well, yeah, and so uh, continuing the fuzzy logic yeah. here, um, Steve Bohm, who is the research director at the Nielsen Book Research in the UK, says at the end of this piece that ebook sales would continue to decline in 2017, barring a new development in e-reader technology. And the quote is, one thing we've seen is that when print sales surge, industry confidence in the print increases. If publishers are confident, they can have huge success. If we have a couple of years of that success story, print sales will keep going up. But it's not the confidence at all. Mm-hmm. Having confidence in a thing does not make the thing sell. This makes That's zero the secret, Rebecca. Sense. That's the secret, though. Are we just going to manifest some book sales for ourselves now? Like, it makes no sense what he's saying here. It's if publishers like that they're selling more print because they like the margins better mm-hmm. on print, they're going to keep manufacturing ways to keep earning that margin and what they're doing is wiggling ebook prices closer and closer to print or even in yeah. excess of print so that they can do it like there is no secret 
There, there, there is no secret. I guess it would be maybe that quote unquote confidence in print could be um, <laughs> the the meta cause of the willingness to jack up ebook prices, right? It's like maybe maybe there is a story about the fear of getting left behind digitally led them to really think that they had to provide ebooks at nine ninety nine or something like that. Mm. I, I don't know. Like there is a possible. I mean, you could there could be some sort of weird correlation or even causality there, but it does drive me a little bit crazy that no mention of higher ebook prices, right? Because it right. actually says, it says that, but it doesn't, it's, it actually mentions that ebook prices have climbed, but it doesn't bake it into the, any kind of explanation of why ebook sales are down, right? It says, um, while ebook sales had plateaued, Bohm said it was important to remember that the sales figure were still higher than they were five years ago, <laughs> holding a 25% share in 2016 compared with 26% in 2015 and 18% in 2012. The average ebook price increased to seven pounds sterling. This is a UK thing, but it doesn't say to what, for how much. Like, it, it seems like, again, I don't know much about macro and microeconomics, but it seems to me like if the price of something goes up, then it makes sense that other competitive products in the same category that have stayed stable might do better. Uh, it's just, it, it boggles the mind that, that the ebook pricing is a footnote in what they put up front is a, is a four-year-old uh, reader sentiment survey <laughs> that at the time had no bearing upon the trajectory of ebook sales at the time. To- uh, then. <laughs> move on before you just burst into flames. I'm trying. Anyway, let's get on. (laughs) Let's do, let's see, here's a tech thing that I thought was interesting this week. Uh, The folks at Hachette Book Group have launched Hachette Mm. Audiobooks powered by Wattpad in partnership with Wattpad, where they're going to produce 50 new audiobooks that are based on Wattpad stories. The titles are going to start being available this summer. Um, They don't have any info out publicly yet about authors and titles yet, but it'll focus on popular Wattpad writers adapting their stories into audiobooks, but getting distribution beyond the Wattpad mm. platform. So functionally, this is like a Wattpad imprint of Hachette audiobooks. Yeah, right. That makes um, sense. Really, I think really interesting. And I was trying to think if I've if we've seen other publishers do this, but there aren't really good analogs to what Wattpad no. is. What um, we see is like... Um, uh, our old friends at Swoon Reads, right. right? Who's been a sponsor? Like they didn't go with Wattpad, but they would use, they, they would basically talent scout mm-hmm. um, in these community writing locations. And they yeah, created well, their they own. Just, yeah, they created their own because that's um, run by um, Macmillan. Right. Um, so that's one thing that's going here. I know some people have gotten book deals out of their Wattpad or Smashwords or other, mm-hmm. you know, Wattpad is the 900 pound gorilla in, in this particular space right now, is my understanding. Um, but this makes sense for a couple of reasons. One is that Wattpad is a text, you know, it's built to be text and consumable and shareable and, you know, iterable and you can release it in serial. Audio doesn't have quite the same paradigm. Um, and as we know, you know, we've learned we are no being professional audio producers. But if you have a setup to record good audio, it's much easier to do that with existing resources than to try to uh, jury rig something in your home or garage or because like the qual. If you're going to listen to a book for 15 hours, you can't listen to the air conditioner in the back. Right. You, you, you can't listen to the dog or the kids bursting in or like a faint rattle or hum. Um, apologies to you too, but you know. So this is a thing <laughs> where like they have some existing technology, and if all they need to do is give it to Hachette. And have their production staff, you know, find a narrator and use their equipment and so on and so forth. 
that's a nice benefit to make available to people too. Yeah. And Hachette is looking to do new content development yeah. initiatives. It might be cheaper for them to acquire content from Wattpad writers than from, you know, established writers with agents that may be part of it as well, that they can acquire this material um, for less money uh, than acquiring mm-hmm. some of their other authors. And they already have the basically the infrastructure set up to produce them. This makes a lot of sense to yep. me. I think it's really going to be interesting. And uh, Wattpads, I, I will wonder about digital distribution of these audiobooks and how that is mm. going to work since Wattpads audience is so heavily in developing countries um, that if you want to provide an audiobook mm. um, to the fans that those people already have developed, how, are, how is that going to Yeah, we're tiptoeing work? around another landmine, but, which is audiobook pricing, but um, yeah, yeah, let's, but, not, yeah I, let's not step on that one. But a, an interesting problem set. I think a really smart partnership here. Sixty-two dollars for the uh, People's History of the United States in audiobook. <laughs> not that file. you checked. Not that I looked at it. <laughs> we, we, I think we can do one more. Where do you want to go? Uh, hold on, I'm looking at the Wattpad thing. Let me take a look. See, um, let's talk about Nedetia Korafor. Yes, Nedi. Nettie. I've never, I've never heard, ne- it, heard it said Nettie. I've met her Nettie. before. It's Nettie. Nettie. Acora for <laughs> a uh, O-K-O-R-A-F-O-R. If you haven't heard of her, um, she is a writer of sci-fi. Um, this, you know, with largely, um, as far as I know, exclusively black protagonists and even, beyond, even more so than that, um, African, set in Africa or African peoples in space. You know, it's... it's mm-hmm. um, uh, really, really interesting stuff. Benti, I think Benti is probably your best known one. It's mm-hmm. a novella. Yes. And there's a sequel that's out or coming out. Um, I read Benti and really liked it. I, uh, you know, as a quick aside, <coughs> excuse me. But she wrote a book in 27 called The Shadow Speaker. And I don't know what brought this up. Maybe you do, but she she's also a really good follow on Twitter. Interesting follow on Twitter if, if you don't follow her. It's um, at um, Nettie, double N-E-D-I. Um, where she was talking about the whitewashing of the cover of that book, um, where she has a black female main character, it's a sci-fi novel, and the first pass that she got was of a white woman in, mm-hmm. you know, basically a, a desert landscape. And again, it's not, it's a little, it's a, there's some transparency stuff in Photoshop where it's not obviously at first glance clearly and unmistakably a white woman, except that if you actually look, it totally is. Um, and then you see she kept that, apparently, that first pass, because then you compare it to what actually appeared, and it's, um, you know, a black woman, black skin, black hair, um, black texture hair. Uh, and that's the only thing that's changed. Like, everything else in the mm-hmm. in the cover has, has been... She's out walking on a sand dune in a yeah, desert. Yeah, wearing the same clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a little shorter, interestingly. I, I, I don't know why, but... And she said, and this brought out stories of other people know. And we were talking about the, another thing. We we're talking mm-hmm. about the book or on Twitter. I saw people talking about other instances they know in which whitewashing happened of of characters of color in a book being represented as white uh, on the cover. And she said that she basically had to throw a fit to get it changed. Yeah, that the cover on the left was what, or if you're looking at it, the cover on the left is what the publishers showed her, and that she threw a fit to to get it changed. Um, and one of the things that came up when we were talking about it on the Book Riot back channels is like, God, who thought this was a good idea? Mm-hmm. Like, how did they get to the place where they were how, so far down the line of designing a cover um, that they had, the publisher had basically approved one with a white woman on it and before they got to showing it to the author. And often, I would venture to say even usually, um, 
the author has little to no yeah. uh, influence. That's an on open secret cover. people don't know about publishing. Yeah, either, I on, think. on what know? happens to the book covers. Like Clint, there's, you know, mm-hmm. it, you don't have to go to many publishing parties to meet an author who hates their book cover and couldn't do anything about mm-hmm. it. Um, so, but she threw a fit about this as she rightfully should have. And it's one of those things that re- that points to one of the systemic problems in publishing, which is especially like 2007 is way before publishing was having any variations that yeah. I know of on conversations about diversity mm-hmm. and having people of color in all of the rooms where you're making decisions. So it's like, you know, publishing is so super white. It's entirely possible that everyone who worked on the development of this book was white until they put the book in front of Nettie to approve the cover. Or we don't even know if they were asking for approval or if they were just showing yeah, it to just her. Showing, and, she, yeah. and she decided to object to it and have the black female main character portrayed as a black female main character. Um, so it's it's no mystery how mm. this occurs, even though it shouldn't occur at all. The the most recent example that or not most recent, the first example that I remember seeing was um, in two thousand nine. Justine Larbeleister had a book out yeah. called Liar that the the person, the girl on the cover um, was white and she is coded as a woman of color in the story. And I can't remember if it's specifically a black girl in the story mm-hmm. or not, but definitely a person of color. Um, and that was like, she was sort of tweeting about it as it was ongoing um, and bloggers were discussing it, but it happens very often. Yeah. Uh, and the conversation that Nettie started has brought out a bunch of examples. Were we talking, was it the last episode we were talking about not, not all cover designers designers even read the books necessarily right. that they're yeah. they may get a blurb or um mm-hmm. uh, uh, an yeah. abstract from an editor I mean right they could have just gotten like what we want is a woman in the desert yeah, and they just right. assumed like woman equals white woman right which is its own problem like mm-hmm. there's different kinds of bias and that that implicit bias it's not active it's not like I'm going to change this clearly black character into a white woman it is an assumed um you know uh hegemonic whiteness like yeah, when like i hear we were, woman i see white when i hear right, woman we were, i'm gonna put white yeah we were looking at um, a stock photo service last yes. week i think amanda was looking at a stock photo service that she told us if you search for like black woman reading or this black woman in the stock photo service it turns up a picture of a white woman in black and white mm-hmm. <laughs> um so this is it's just turtles all the way down uh, but if you're paying attention to representation and publishing this is a one a vector to be aware of this isn't in this story that we'll link to in the show notes. I, I saw her tweet about it as this this was ongoing, but um, Okorafor, she says that she now has clauses in her contracts mm. about this, um, that, you know, she's not going to let this happen again. And one way she can do that is build that into the legal language. I hope she uses an appropriate Syria comma if, if, if <laughs> need be in those legal situations. I think she probably, she seems um, like she knows what she's doing for sure. And uh, especially attuned to how to protect that, but that's one place to put it, make it explicit. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sign a deal with you. Um, and I, she didn't say what the language was. I don't know if it meant final cover approval or maybe there's specific language about whitewashing itself. I'm guessing it's more a more general cover approval type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, her not her. Uh, I mean, I used this the other day when I was doing social media for the site and we were doing, um, I think the post was um, sci-fi fantasies mm-hmm. featuring black women, maybe. But the cover to her novel, or no, is it novella? I think it's a novella. I read on a digital book a million years ago, so I can't remember. I think it might be a novella. It won the Hugo and the Nebula in 2016. has an awesome cover of a black woman like putting on orange face paint, um, 
you know, and it's, it doesn't, it's not also, her book covers are not a situation where there's like no, it doesn't get around representing people's race by like not representing people. Like these are like abstract images. Yeah. Like these are black women for sure. Like huge close-ups, full bodies. Akata Witch has like a huge front cover of it. Um, what's the other one? Yeah, I don't know how to say this. It's L-A-G-U-N-E. I think it's Lagune. Um, a, you know, a big, bold profile uh, of a black woman. So she went, she's like, I'm not only am I not letting that happen again, I'm going the other way. We're just going to have giant pictures of my main characters on the cover, which is great. Right. I mean, yeah, they turn out they're great. beautiful covers. Some of the and most striking covers you see. They are very striking. And a good note for, the, if you're listening to the show and you are a writer- yeah. of color or you've written a book with a person of color as the main character you might consider talking to your agent about mm-hmm. putting this in your contracts if you want to if you really want to be able to fight the battle um for yeah. it that's that's a thing you're sadly probably going to have to fight for yeah. um one quick note since we were talking about audiobooks before we get out yes. of here um there's a new service or i think it's been around for a little bit but it's just sort of bubbled up again in coverage this week libro.fm is an audiobook provider that partners with independent bookstores you pay 14.99 a month, so pretty similar to an Audible membership. Um, $14.99 a month gets you an audiobook. If you buy more than one per month, you get 30% off the additional purchases. So there's not like multiple credit options here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you keep them even if you choose to end your membership, and a portion of the membership fee goes to an independent bookstore of your choice. Um, so if you've been looking for some alternate ways to try audiobooks, or I don't, maybe you've been holding off on audiobooks yeah. because you want to solely support indie bookstores, check out Libro.fm. Yep, that's a good show. Um, thanks so much to our sponsors. Uh, what It Takes, go get, go get you some romance. Um, and Caraval by Stephanie Garber. Um, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Show no- oh, The links are now in the descriptions. I've got someone asking me, what does that mean? Uh, well, if you're using a podcast player on your Mac or on your phone, and you click on the episode, there'll be a description, and I'm just including the links to our sponsors and the show notes there. So you can go to bookriot.com slash listen and navigate to our show and find them that way. But since um, you can see in the stats, like 90% of people listen to the podcast on a phone of some kind, and mostly iPhones or iPads or tablets or on their Macs, um, those are built into those podcasts. If you use Overcast FM or Instacast or any of those podcast catchers, it's a really simple way. So, you, you know, you can even, you're listening on your phone, you want to say, oh, what is that link? You can pop it right there without having to type in another URL. So that's what they are. They're still in the other place. Don't worry. They're there too. Um, and as always, if you have follow-up, uh, also, we, I guess, let's see, what's our special um, call out for a few? Oh, if you're, if, you're in, if you're a professional or amateur or just significant book recommender of any kind, as a librarian, a teacher, um, bookseller, whatever, I'd like to know what are your hard read-alike requests? What are the ones where you're like, oh, yeah, that one, Ugh, that's tricky, uh, mostly because I want to share your pain, but also I'm curious because I think – that list of things that are that are hard to find relax for would just be a good reading list on its own. I just want to read all those. Yeah, books, it would be interesting um, to see. All right, Rebecca, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, okay, have a good one. Mm-hmm.